Hey guys, it's your girl Boonie, and you're listening to episode 167 of the Boonie Breakdown Podcast, your source for all things responsible and ratchet. All right, here we go. Welcome to this week's episode, everyone. I'm excited. I think I would label this week's episode more so Sophista Ratchet. It is a good conversation, a conversation we have not had in depth here on the Boonie Breakdown podcast. But my guests are Nika Namdi, who is a Baltimore-based entrepreneur engaged in social mission-driven entrepreneurship and community wellness work. She endeavors to apply a mix of traditional African and modern African-American social economic spiritual practices as a framework for living. Our second guest is Ray Baker, the host of the Public Agenda podcast. He is a television and radio commentator and a communications professor teaching African-American rhetoric. All right. Uh, This conversation actually was recorded for a live show that I did for the Baltimore Heritage Art Show back in February during Black History Month. Uh, But this conversation was just so good. I had to use it for season nine of the podcast. Uh, The theme of the conversation was Black Lives Matter movement or an affirmation. And when I say Nika and Ray taught me so much, they affirmed that I was on the right path. (laughs) But it was also so educational for me. And I hope that it is educational for you. We talk about what does black liberation look like for them? How do they envision that um, for black people in the diaspora? And also, what do you make of these useless monuments? And I'm doing air quotes that kind of sprung up in 2020 as Black Lives Matter movement was co-opted, uh, which was a very interesting time, right? So we had that conversation. It's, it's so good, guys. I'm not even bullshitting you, all right? So stick around for the conversation. Let's hop into my pick of the week. Um, I don't know if this is on brand or not, but I... Finally watched the United States versus Billie Holiday because uh, Sora Day. Yes, that's my Sora. Uh, <laughs> she won the Golden Globe for Best Actress. So I was like, okay, let me finally watch this. Uh, Well-deserved. Well-deserved. She was really acting. And I think it was a phenomenal job for her very first time ever acting. Um we got to rep Baltimore because, you know, uh, Billie Holiday was from Baltimore as well. And so I thought if you have not watched this on Hulu, it is worth the watch. Um, and I think you guys should check it out. I'm curious what other people thought. You know, I knew about her addiction, but I was I, I did not know. And it, it's so mm, it fits with this uh, theme of this episode. Uh, but I did not know the extent in which the government went after her because of the song Strange Fruit. And that is what uh, the movie is all about. So uh, go watch it and let me know. DM me, whatever. And let me know what you thought of the movie. All right. Housekeeping. <laughs> First up. Uh, feedback from episode 166 with our problematic fave, uh, Brian. This conversation, um, you guys, we went really hard on Instagram. <laughs> Even so many of you were so engaged and uh, active in the comments, as usual, about our problematic fave. One of you guys actually dragged him a bit 
and said he ain't never going to have a beep go hard for him in the bed otherwise with his dumb ass mindset. Uh, this person continued to go on and on and it sparked another discussion about who gets the rag. <laughs> so you guys are very engaged with last week's Ratchet episode and uh, thank you for it. Also got a shout out Patreon gang this week. We had a small but mighty group uh, at our first Thursdays with Booney over on Patreon. We had a good time uh, with past podcast guest Goody Howard uh, for uh, her boudoir selfie masterclass. She taught so many tips, so many tips. Uh, The replay is live on Patreon. And if you want to become a Patreon member, you can go to patreon.com backslash the Booney Breakdown and make a pledge. Now, let me just clarify now. Let me clarify something for you. In order to get access to the live events, there are three membership tiers on the Patreon. You have to be at the middle or the highest tier in order to get access to those live events, okay? It's all detailed on the page. People just need to use their eyes and read, all right? (laughs) Um, And even let's say you pay your membership fee tomorrow, you get access to all the posts that are designated for your tier. So that's so simple. I also want to thank my Be More peeps uh, for supporting my first brand collaboration with the LA Bass Band Culture. Um, Brought to you guys some Be More merch from my Baltimore family with the Over East and Over West t-shirts. So thank you guys for supporting. Uh, You guys started receiving your shirts last week. You can head on over to cltr.com shop backslash the boonie breakdown it's linked in the show notes if you would like to get your over east or over west tees and lastly you can always join the conversation and have more follow-up with us over on instagram and facebook at the boonie breakdown on twitter we're just at boonie breakdown and when sharing this episode please use the hashtag pod n p o d i n and the hashtag the boonie breakdown you can tag us put us in your insta story put us in your facebook status you can hit share um, the post from my Instagram feed and put it right into your Insta story. The more you guys share, the more we grow. And I love you so much. Also, if you feel super, super inclined, you can leave a five-star review over in the Apple Podcast app. Yes, five stars. It's super easy. It takes less than 30 seconds to do it. It's very easy. And I appreciate it and love you guys long time. So that is it for me. I'm telling you guys, you're going to enjoy this conversation. You're going to learn something. You're going to want to read a book. You're going to want to go dig it a little deeper because that's everything that I got out of it. So let's get ready to break it down. All right. I'm excited for this interview because the synergy has already been amazing before we even hit record. And I would first like to introduce and welcome our guests to the Booney Breakdown. I have Ray Baker and Miss Nika Nomni. Welcome. Are y'all excited for this conversation? Always excited. (laughs) I'm going to put the caveat out here already that I already know there will be times where I'm going to be corrected and I'm okay with that. I have no problem being corrected. And when people are teaching me new things, I also hope that those listening and watching that you guys learn something new, get a little adjustment. It's nothing wrong with that. This is how we learn and grow. So I'm putting that out there now. I already know what's going to happen. I already know. Nika does it to me all the time. (laughs) 
but it's, it's in love, sister. I love it. So we're talking about Black Lives Matter. And as I was framing this conversation, the theme that I came up with was, is it an affirmation or is it a movement? Because I, I feel like the year of 2020 showed us a few things, especially peeling back the layers and the gauze off of my eyes and how things work. Uh, 2020 showed us a lot. And so I'm going to just ask before we dive deep, Ray, mm-hmm. when you hear Black Lives Matter, what's the first thing that comes to mind? How wretched the United States has been these last 200, what are we at now, near 50 plus years? Roughly. That the declaration that Black Lives Matter is so obvious while also being so necessary. Um, And then the second thing I think about that is how Americans function in ways that allow statements and slogans far too often to be their own empty blank slates that everyone can project their own assumptions and conclusions and ideas to and about like they did Barack Obama um, (laughs) without actually getting to the meat or substance of what is being articulated. Okay. Nika, same question. Black Lives Matter. First thing that comes to mind. Um, I would say the first thing that comes to mind is that it really is a shame that at this point in human history, that has to be our affirmation. It is also equally shameful that at this point in human history, that that has to be a movement. Because to me, it is both an affirmation and a movement toward you know, liberation, I won't say freedom, well, freedom and liberation, freedom for individuals, but also liberation for us as a, as a people or as peoples, because, you know, black folks yes. are not a monolith. However, yeah, it's just shameful that, that we even have to have that as a, a mantra, that is something that we have to constantly tell ourselves in order to feel our full humanity. You know, yeah. based on what we see, you know, what we see and experience um, in the world. Yeah. Now, I was going to say the interesting thing for me was, especially in this past, I'll say, 18 months or so, even though Black Lives Matter, the actual movement organization was founded in like 2013. I think the interesting thing for me was watching Black people take such pride around it. Right. And so I think that's been one of the positive things about this is because, sadly, even though we're talking about, you know, white America and it. it Some of us needed to hear that, too, and know that, too. Um, And so watching people proclaim that and wear the T-shirts and do all of that, that was a positive for me because I feel like we often, uh, you know, white supremacy has done a number on us as well with self-hatred. And so to see that people affirming that was wonderful. But (laughs) what also drove me crazy last year were the useless, and this is why I'm going to get in trouble a little bit we're kind of these useless, meaningless monuments and moments, right? We're, we're sharing black squares. We're painting Black Lives Matter in streets. And while I saw why it was relevant and it made feel pe- people feel good, I'm like, but what is this doing? What's, what's the next step? Where, where do we go from here? But now people who I, and, and I struggle with it because we talked about, you know, schooling before we recorded. I was primarily in predominantly white spaces for the bulk of my educational background. And so people who I know are racist 
posted their little black square and felt so good about themselves. So good. It's performative. Performative. And it's also uh, racism, white supremacy, not even racism, right? Because that gets in, racism is is a little bit different than white supremacy. Mm -hmm. White supremacy is so deeply entrenched in the existence of the United States that folks wholly and sincerely believe themselves not (laughs) propagating white supremacy while propagating white supremacy, even to black folks, right? Even not, and you alluded to this as well, Booney, when you say like, yo, people, black people needed to learn Black Lives Matter. And so unfortunately, and I'm stealing this quote from the rapper Yassine Bey from a long time ago. He said, America bifurcates everything into one, two, right? Good guy, bad guy, Autobot, Decepticon. Left, right, red pill, blue pill. That if you're not one of the wretched, rebellious descendants of the Confederate who were storming the Capitol <laughs> looking to take Mike Pence to the gallows, then you must not be racist, right? That's the, it's either that or this, right? And there's so much more white supremacy function in that. And, and since you brought up what happened at the Capitol, I think what has been astounding for me and what I loved about that moment is that people are seeing their realtors, teachers, doctors, they all got their asses on planes and flew to D.C. to do that shit. Right. We've always been taught, to your point, that the racists and people upholding these are these country bumpkins who live in the South, who can't get over that slavery is gone. Nope, there were teachers, realtors. That lady got on a private jet. And the goal of these people that they knew they weren't going to get caught, they're recording and posting on Facebook. And yay, look at me. Like that whole, I loved that whole moment. I loved it all. It's funny to me because if you, part of what America is really good at is creating these super villains, right? You create these super villains. And so anything less than the super villain is like great. It's like <laughs> Biden versus Trump. Both of them trash Landia, right? <laughs> but because one appears like a hero, right? And oh, one it's... appears like the super villain. We, we go along with it. And part of the challenge is for many Black people, we really have not been taught what white supremacy is as a, philo- uh, as a philosophy, nor do we understand what racism is as a system, mm. right? We think it's bigots and people who are prejudiced or like you said, the country bumpkins. But if it was limited to that, then black women wouldn't be dying in childbirth at four times the rate of other women, irrespective of their support, supposed social economic class, right? Mm-hmm. But we know medical racism is a whole thing, right? We know that there's a whole line of um, scientific racism, a whole line of that. So if you know those things exist, you know Marion O. Sims, you know what he did to enslaved African women in terms of medical experimentation, if you know what happened to Henrietta Lacks, if you know about the Tuskegee experiments, then you know that racism can't simply be the, the, uh, the thoughts of a few ignorant trailer park people. That's not, that's not, that's not how that thing works. Not how it works because at all. We, we have not spent a lot of time studying it because it, it's hurtful. 
you this you, you get tired of hearing the stories, you get tired of looking at the stuff, but because of that, we don't deal with it and we don't understand what it is, so we don't see we don't see the backhanded slights. Mm-hmm. We don't see, oh, you oh, you speak so well, you're so articulate. We don't understand that that is, you know, an indication of racism when our little liberal friends at work say, we don't get, we really, really don't get it. And so we easily, we get easily duped into yeah. thinking that it's only the super villain. We don't think about how Teach for America is huh. a We don't listen. We my don't grandmother, God rest her soul, my grandmother was an educator in the Baltimore City school system for. 30 something years. And that was one of her biggest gripes was teach for America. Or she would say when the white suburban mother would decide to be a teacher to help her husband through law school, don't give a damn about these black kids in the city, but just came to to help their, their financial goals and then go on home. That was one of her biggest gripes about the education system during her time when she was there. So yes. Keep in mind institutions like this, we could do the whole thing on Bash and Teach for America, but before, <laughs> before that, keep in mind that in a place like Baltimore City, where at one point, I think maybe 20 to 30 years ago, the workforce, the educational workforce was made up of 80% plus African-Americans in a city that was 60% plus. And so now the student population of Baltimore City is somewhere around 77, 78, 80% African-American. And now the teacher population is down to 60% African-American. Mm. While clearly a majority, right? And clearly consistent with the majority of the demographics of Baltimore City as a function, we see the drastic shift and downward in number of Black teachers. And we know that Black teachers, and particularly teachers of color broadly, because Black and of color are not the same, but Black and teachers of color increase the achievement metrics, if we are ones to believe in achievement metrics, of all students, regardless of their race or ethnicity, and yet the Baltimore City public school system is having a whitening of its teacher workforce. Mm. Questions of labor, questions of uh, values of education, what's the purpose, et cetera, et cetera. Black Lives Matter. Notwithstanding. (laughs) (laughs) I put a black square on my Instagram today, so. I mean... And I I think that's the part that bothered me, especially about that black square on Instagram, that it was so dumbed down and the people felt so proud that just that little bullshit activity of, oh, I posted a black square, eradicated any other behavior that they did in the past or continue to do. And people were so proud about it. And I'm like, can I I trash people for a second? And this is the last time I'll ever say that sentence. Um, I think because we have such, we Americans have such a poor class analysis and have such a difficult time understanding the confluence between race and class mm-hmm. that don't understand how to meaningfully change things. Right. They don't understand what organizing looks like. They don't understand the, com- the, the, the language which use, functions as praxis, which is the intersection of theory and practice because they don't have this understanding, right? And this goes for folks who are as high up and and platformed that seem what they call woke and conscious as our John Legends and those women and men who are just trying to survive, right? Mm -hmm. Because we don't have that a great grasp of the understanding and our supposed thought leaders are not helping us think through these things in these ways, then folks have this compulsion to want to feel like they have done something. Right. And that compulsion ends up, hey, where can I put money? 
because the United States is a, is, a, is a capitalist country. So we consider our ways of fixing things, throwing money at it. So let me donate to the Minnesota Bail Relief Fund because everybody's getting locked up because they're protesting George Floyd. I felt like I'm on the good guy side. Let me turn my square on Instagram black because I'm now gesturing. And while some people will critique it as virtue signaling, I think it communicates that deep down inside of human beings somewhere, the pull of humanity, even in the, my word, the worst of the liberals, right, <laughs> is still tugging at them, that there's a compulsion to do something, but is an incapability to do anything meaningfully either because they know it'll be a direct affront to their class and privilege status, right. or because our society has not taught us and organized us in a way to how to take on class, capital, and race, also gender, uh, sexual orientation, all of these things function in the same house uh, in any meaningful ways that can actually subvert the existing order. And so we put up a black square, we hashtag a thing that's the hashtag, in SARS. You remember Coney? <laughs> right, Coney? Like, our, our hashtag becomes our way in this society, this wretched society that we lived in, to do a thing to at least tell our soul, look, man, I'm trying. Right. Yeah. I mean, some of the simple laziness in that anybody who takes a, even a cursory look at what has happened in America, its formation and its development will know that there is absolutely no way that America will continue mm. at, you know, with the standard of quote unquote living that we have or enjoy if the, uh, the issues, if the treatment of black people is not repaired, if, if not restored, right? There's no way for America to get out of this without reparations. It, it just, it's not gonna it's happen. It's not gonna happen. It's not going to happen. Now, America can continue to do what it's going to do. And like many other European colonial powers, it's going to be a shell, quote unquote, of its former self. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And so not that it's going to go all the way away, but it just isn't going to be saying Britain, the sun used to never set on the British Empire. Right. Mm -hmm. But they looking a little bit trashy over there. Right. Right now. And so the reality of it is people are want to do something. I think you're right. It does pull on that, that piece of them that is human, but it also is quick. Let me put the square up. Let me send this money. But it doesn't necessarily it doesn't necessarily require that consistent because in order to become anti-racist, right? In order to dismantle white supremacy, in order to dismantle racism. You have to really study. You have to check yourself. You got to check in with yourself, all of that. And people just, America's not really, I mean, we got a re reality TV show president. This is who people elected. And that's not to say artists, and that's not to say that artists or entertainers do not have any political or economic analysis because there's a long line of them in the Black tradition that do. But we're talking about, Donald Trump. But it's the same as Ronald Reagan. It's the same thing that people are, it's, it's the same thing that people are, are um, plugging into, right? And it's that it goes to the same thing. You, you put the square up or you say, make America great again. Both of them are cheap and easy ways to address the elephant in the room, which is the way America is, is unsustainable. It is a lie. 
everything that they tell you about liberty and justice for all. Come on. I mean, there is no way to address. There is no way to, you can't reconcile that. You know the awful part? It's, I'm, I'm sorry to jump in here. But it's a lot of white people. Right? Right? <laughs> hey, regular white person, you are also being had. Right. Yes. This has been a labor question. And so the I think it was the Atlantic, some 2018 phrased it. The Donald Trump supporters are having economic anxiety and right. black people everywhere just took, took that and threw it in the trash as it should. But again, because as Americans, we have a difficult time having this racial race and class analysis. Right. A thinker who guides the way I think about these things. Dr. Kianga Yamada Taylor writes about this in great detail. Robin D.G. Kelly has a great racial capitalist analysis. Uh, Barbara Ransby writes about this with good analysis. And I encourage folks to, to, to learn from those thinkers because Nancy Eisenberg's book, for, uh, The Lies of a 400-Year History of White Trash, tells us specifically about how white people have been exploited here too. The question yes. of American founding is a question of excess labor. What do we, what do we Britain, do with these excess humans, these scoundrels, these ruffians who are too busy getting drunk in our streets because us affluent people already have capital. Hey, wait, there's a land over there. Go send them over there. Oh, wait, we can grow crops there that we can grow. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> let's slide on over there for a second. And, right? and it's kind of, to you know, Kenya Barris always jokes, everything goes back to slavery, right? And so for America, it's that same thing where uh, the upper class waged a war on the poor white man to say, but you, you're not black. Like you're always better because you're not black. And so these poor people who vote against and do all these actions against their own interests, it's because, well, I'm not black. Like I'm still better than you, right? You're and right. Black people do it too, right? Black people. Yes. How many times have you been in a young black professional setting and before somebody even knows your last name, they go, so what do you do? You do. do. I hate it. <laughs> as if, as if. Americans as if. are ascribing value to a human being based upon what you can provide in a marketplace. And if that is not internalized with Eurocentricity, I don't know what is. But the thing is, most of us, it goes back to most of us don't even know the difference. Like, we don't even recognize it. I, uh, a friend of mine, um, Chango Onyango, we had this <laughs> conversation and he was like, you know, they, you've been white people because if you think about it, white people uh, pay more money to live in neighborhoods without black people. And then if they pay a premium to do that, and then they pay a premium to go and do our art and our culture. <laughs> go to Jamaica, go to New Orleans, go all of these places all over the world, which is effectively our culture. But we have spent so much time lionizing rugged individualism and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps that them sillies don't even realize they are hanging by their own bootstraps. Like America is a third world country with a fake Gucci belt. I love these that. Even, <laughs> but these people don't even see what's coming because again, it does all go back to slavery, but it actually goes back to um, European slavery. It goes back to what they did to each other mm -hmm. in Europe before they got here. It goes back to why, as a property owner, I don't want anybody calling me a landlord. Mm -hmm. Because if you know what that word means, if you know what was done to the serfs and to the Slavs, mm -hmm. right, that we get the word slave even from, you'll understand that it is a class People have an issue with the class versus race thing 
because they don't understand it effectively. Black was a was a class. We were created in their mechanism as a class, but that class stuff goes back ten thousand years in Europe. Being being ridiculous, treating each other like trash. I mean, this isn't new. They just have created race as a mechanism of having a permanent underclass and then a group on top that they can control with the idea that at least you ain't them. Mm-hmm. And no matter how low you are, you ain't you still ain't you, black. <laughs> you still ain't black. But look at look at look at the ways that even Black folks in the United States have begun to internalize those things. And sometimes we have to begin to recognize that, as Dr. Janice Hale of Wayne State University tells us, different does not equal deficient. And so we can begin to offer, and, 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 and listen, there's a long tradition of Black folks in the United States and abroad who have done this, differing ways of being, right? Looking, looking the American concept of privilege in the face and saying, no, thanks. I'll put it this way. <laughs> Somebody passed along to me a relatively high profile job. They said that I would be very high. Qual- I was qualified for it. It would look great. It would accelerate my career where I was going. I looked at them and said, do you know how much less time I would have to throw the ball at the park with my dog? Because if I did that, do you know how much less time I would have to stand in my kitchen and play albums and just two-step while I'm cooking if I had that job? And so then we force ourselves to, but the person said, but you would be, insert title here. And it's a thing that if you just say the title, you would want to do it. And I'm like, no, I am rejecting the Eurocentric epistemology that says that high productivity is the height of human accomplishment. But you, but that that's because you don't, you're not seeking acceptance because yeah, you don't think that because you don't think that their system is supreme, right? Mm-hmm. As mm-hmm. long as you don't think that their system is supreme, many of us with our educations, with our degrees, <laughs> we think, oh, I'm gonna get a St. John suit and some red bottom shoes, and Ooh. I'm gonna get that, I'm gonna get that corporate job. And the whole time, number one, they exploiting you because your intellectual property. People do this thing about how people shouldn't sell their bodies. That's ridiculous. I'm like, but you're selling your intellectual property. You're talking about somebody selling their labor. You're selling your mind. Mm-hmm. And often to the utter detriment of people like yourself, because mm-hmm. you get into these spaces and places you're not safe. And as a result of being in those places and spaces, you become disconnected from the people who will who protect you, who will teach you and who will hug you and who will love on you. And so we get caught up in it because we still many of us are still trying to seek European acceptance. And I don't know why. I mean, if you look it's at the history, it's raggedy. Yeah, I'm like, I think. Even generationally, the myth has been upheld. And I, I I say this, like, I feel like I'm late to the boat <laughs> in terms of my own awakening. And I've been struggling with this with my friend. I've shared this with Nika before. Um, whereas even the school that I went to, that was just such a beacon of pride for my grandmother to say, I sent my baby here. Now, all of my friends were having children. And one of them texts me, would you send your child to that school? Hell no. And it's not even that I had a bad experience. It is not 
worth the potential trauma that my child could experience and I'm paying $30,000 for it, <laughs> right? So why the fuck would I do that? I'm not going to do it. in Baltimore. I can get trauma for free. I don't need, I don't need. You're going to get it. You're going to get it. No, actually, you're not going to get it for free because in Baltimore, you pay high property taxes. <laughs> like the taxes I tell. Still paying uh, traumatized. But yeah, which is like... <laughs> It's my own moment. And it it sucks because I even still see how those elite schools are deemed elite, right? And (laughs) the marketing and the propaganda that goes behind it, that you have to go to one of those and not a poly or a city, Western, whatever. And so it's just, even for me in the last, I'll even say three to five years, where I've shifted to, a lot of people still aren't even there. And I think the hardest pill for people to swallow as I'm having these conversations is that they know what they're doing, what the treatment is, and they don't fucking care. Is it so Boone? I would I would I would be curious <laughs> if it's a not care or if it's a you know, it takes a while to make peace with the idea that Santa ain't real. Right? Like when somebody tells you Santa ain't real, it ain't like when some when you first heard Santa ain't real, you just didn't go, oh, okay, cool, I'm good. No, nah, you might have had to run through some things. Like, all right, so the presents still get here, but like you got to make that piece. And so when we are reared, particularly we who would be influenced by the 80s, right? Because it it is valuable to be students of history. In the late 19, mid to late 1960s, Black Americans looked around and particularly got an internationalist worldview, the radical Black Americans, mm-hmm. got an internationalist worldview. And the money in the United States said, look, bro, it is hard for me to sell this banana in Tanzania or in, <laughs> in Algeria or in Botswana if you got the people that look like them getting beat over the head when they try to kneel to pray so they can go vote. I need you to not mess with the church's money. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, so, and so the, you see this, this turn that even the black folks are now being brought into the United States, right? We saw that John Lewis's funeral, Bill Clinton, my frat brother. I don't know what we was thinking. We was thinking for white people. Oh, wanted a president. Y'all just wanted the president. Go ahead. <laughs> Bill Clinton got in and says, and SNCC went a little too far to the radical with Stokely for those years and nothing there, but it came on back after some time, right? And what is he talking about? He's talking about the very legitimate theoretical and ideological differences between Kwame Ture and John Lewis. And John Lewis, God bless his soul, good trouble is important. He sacrificed so much, but we can have conversations as to ideology. We can have conversations about the value of them and where one seeks as humanity. And Kwame Ture said, listen, I am an African. I am a man of African descent. I am here with serving African people and we will organize African people Based on African epistemologies, what are the ways of being that we existed in that made sense and gave value to us? And more and more black folks go, all right, what's up with that? And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, Richard Nixon comes out in 1970, black capitalism, right? Jackie Robinson endorses him. James Brown endorses him the second time. But like, and you got more black folk in there. And 1980s gives us, as we alluded to, Ronald Reagan, Reagan. is good, right? So now we have these walls torn down that middle class and bourgeois blacks get to now pay that same tax we say white people pay to not be around black people, right? And it, yep. And, and raise their kids to send them, oh, I can send my kid to insert school now? Okay, let's do it. And so black folk 
who had now finally had the opportunity to drink this water that they were told was colder and better. And now what you are, Boone, are now saying, as a person who drank that water, go, oh, well, my cousin who drank the water over there is doing just as good as me. I don't got half the trauma about this other thing I got. So why do I have this investment? So what you were doing is breaking up with, right? And I've never given birth. But we talk about the pain of birthing things, right? There's a pain that comes from It's joy when it's born, but there's a pain that comes from the birth. Listen, man, for those folks who may be listening or watching and there with Christianity, you don't get to have the joy of resurrection without the pain of crucifixion. Are we right? preaching now? <laughs> so, that, and to, to, you, to bring that back here, Black folk have to divorce themselves from what James Baldwin calls the American myth. Now, Black folk of the 50s and 60s never had to buy into it because it just wasn't true for us. Oh, I get to be middle class now. And that's when you get Black folks going, oh, my God, they follow Oprah around the store? Heaven help us. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm, at, I'm a lawyer at my firm and my white colleagues get paid more than me? Heaven help us. Oh, right. I, I thought I would be Henry Louis Gates, who was surprised out of his mind that they would arrest him. Henry Gates, the chair of a department at Harvard, was given equal status to a sergeant of Cambridge, Massachusetts, not even Boston. And I'm not one who ascribes value to people for <laughs> their job. But if, gonna, if them's the rules of the game, let's play the game. But what you, Boone, as descendant of those Black folks, because your grandmama labored because she couldn't, right? She labored because she couldn't. And there was a great deal. That's It gets into some of the, 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 the fissures between desegregation and integration and things of the sort. But the you tell me I can't, particularly in the Black radical tradition of resistance, right? And I ain't necessarily talking about everybody being a Nat Turner. I'm just talking about a Black folk going, Oh, that literally was watch, my grandmother. Watch me. If we it's go in Nordstrom, shit. look, if we went in Nordstrom, like to take it very simple, and she's like, Oh, show me this person, the lady be like, but it's 600 My grandmother's gonna buy it. Because you're not but gonna tell me I can't buy no six hundred dollar perk. Like well, here's the thing, that right there, that in itself is the trick. Yes. Because if you look, if you if and I encourage people to read um Jared Ball's new book, The Myth of Black Buying Power, they they have spent millions of billions of dollars trying to get us to purchase our way out of an inferiority complex Ooh. that they created because it's capitalism. Mm-hmm. And that's what capitalism does. And until we have the dialogue also about how capitalism is tied to enslavement, you have no capitalism without slaves. You have to have slaves in the capital, um, in the capitalist imperative. Now, those slaves could be picking cotton slaves. Or working at Amazon. <laughs> Stuffing boxes, right? Yeah, <laughs> they could be uh, working slaves. They could be a prison, they could be a prison population. But they also could be people who are mentally enslaved to the idea that being able to buy things or being able to speak a certain way or being able to present a certain way means that you are valuable or more valuable as a human being. And until we deal with that, till we deal with this whole, so part of our challenging that many of us still hold on to this idea that we were enslaved because we weren't Christian. And so we carry this thing like, okay, well, 
that happened to us. Now we love Jesus and, it, and, and, and it's, everything should be okay. But no, that's not why your ancestors were enslaved. Your ancestors were not backwards. They were not without God. They were not without any of these things. Because the truth is, if you go and do any study of traditional or pre-colonial African societies, you will find the most complex political, spiritual, and cultural systems on the planet. So the whole idea that what the Europeans have to offer is better is problematic. They have more stuff, but greed will do that, right? A sense of scarcity that doesn't exist will do that. Uh, Not having anybody to, um, or uh, how do I want to say this? Not having anybody to check your um, false sense of superiority superiority because the reality of it is now at this point to his point to brother's point we play into it Mm -hmm. we play into that nothing that they had in europe is better in fact they didn't have any immunizations africans taught them that they would have lost their little war with britain if it wasn't for african right they went into africa into what is now guinea in the 1400s and saw african women doing cesarean sections so well that within four days, the mother and baby were up and about. These are the people who got you thinking that they superior to you. They got you thinking that classical music is something. No, djembe music is something. Choral music is something. The kalimba is something. The krin is something. Okay. We're We're still wrapped up into... Oh, we just, we got into Peabody. (laughs) (laughs) So if somebody's listening to this and they just heard you rattle off all, both of you, where would you say, and I'm going to ask, because I didn't even have this plan, but like, what would be like a 101, read this, this, and this, or start here, here, and here to lead them on this path of just educating themselves and stuff? Because most people listening probably don't even know what you just said. Like what? Choral music? I've never heard of that. Right. So I would say uh, Chancellor Williams' uh, destruction of African civilization would be one. Um, It's it's difficult because so I speak in a way and I I have to say this. Having been raised by Mm Pan-Africanists, this is my life. So I don't really know. (laughs) I don't Mm -hmm. I don't really know anything else other than the reality of us being born here. I still got all the Americanisms. I'll be working on myself too. So don't take it like that, but it's just hard to come up with. Uh, How to 101. <laughs> <laughs> anything written by John Henry Clark. Oh yeah. Um, Dr. Marimba Ani. Um, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing. Um, they're just so many folks, but it is important. Let me say it like this. We have to go, go wherever you are, go to your local black owned bookstore. And ask them, this is what people should do. Ask the owner, like, I'm trying to understand an African worldview. Can you suggest books to to point me in that direction? Because that's part of the challenge. We only have this European worldview mostly. And many of us don't see anything else. And part of it is because, and this is important to note, when when they destroyed part of what racism racism did when it disconnected us from Africa is it disconnected us from our history in a way where we really believe that nothing was jumping in Africa. 
We really believe that. We couldn't name five kingdoms. You could name all of them House of Windsor and all of that. Just like when, you know, the sister got married them. Everybody was like, oh, we're going to have a royal. I'm like, we got whole royal houses. What are you talking about? But in any case, go and ask. I want to learn about the African worldview. And they should put you on the Wells and they should put you on the Clark. They should put you on Dr. Ben. Um, But those are, um, you know, Yerugu. It's just, it. there's so many. But you you have to, I would say, start with Chancellor Williams' destruction of African civilization. And, and that should get part of the I love how, and Sister Neck, boom, this is going to be a super inside joke between Sister Neck and I a little bit. I love how everybody calls him Dr. Ben because that last name just be throwing everybody, man. That, y'all couldn't, y'all can, I can spell it, right? I can spell it for you. But, Dr. Ben. Dr. <laughs> and, and that's why that's folks love calling that man Dr. Ben, man. You be like, Dr. Ben, y'all, you know who Dr. Ben is, man. Stop playing. Um, but, but, you know, uh, I think Boone asked a really good question. And I think the phrasing of it is very valuable. And that's some of the unlearning we have to do. Americans have everything in a very sequential, direct, this leads to this, and then you'll be free. Right. Read this text, and, and that's why how to be anti-racist or whatever with us. Uh, white fragility became number one on New York Times bestsellers. Weeks. <laughs> a, a white man need a black man in the head, and then a book written by white people on how to be less racist became the number one bestseller book. <clears throat> that the question is a great question, but I don't think the framing was useful. The question is how do I get into this? I, I believe that what Sister Necker offered in her answer was, you jump in, right? You jump in. That's how you get it. You jump in. It starts with, and, 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 and boom, you're, you're demonstrating it, right? So in case people think that we come off as the, uh, and I'm not calling you this Necker, but this is the trope that others would ascribe to folks like ourselves, the disciples of Umar or something to that effect. <coughs> Only <about> Umar. <laughs> Let's not get started on Brother Omar. Or to show show you how backwards Black folk can be, that to be calling someone a hotep is a pejorative among Black people. I keep saying fotep. If you want to use it, say fotep. I do do like fotep. I also like onk-right. I thought that was kind of funny. The onk-right I thought was genius. (laughs) But now you're you're sullying the good name of the onk. But nonetheless. um, But what I think is, it's a commitment to rejecting the world as it is because it is not serving you and humanity. Period. That's where it starts. If this world, because I also value only charging people with that which they sign up for. Mm. And so if this world is serving you, if this capitalistic, hedonistic, rugged, individualist world is one that you can make peace with, then you and me ain't on the same team and it ain't no value in you try, in me trying to tell you about the things that are informing me. But if it is not serving you, if you find as though you feel like you continue to struggle, what is it? You roll the rock up the hill and it keeps coming back down on you. If you're feeling that the world is providing that, that's when I encourage you to lean into what Sister Necker offered and to engage alternative worldviews, right? And one of the things we find is that there's a great overlap in those worldviews that find themselves centering humanity. Now, colloquially and lazily, in this 2021 iteration of the world that we have, we will label it uh, indigenous worldview, a Far East Asian worldview, um, African worldview. But, but those, those are concepts very large, right? You go to 1450 and you just drop yourself off in what we now call Guinea-Bissau and be like, ain't you the same as the people in Botswana? No. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, like, like, and it's not to disparage the two. Yeah. It's to say that, that there are worlds within worlds. But what we find, though, and this is one of the reasons why that we can use language like Pan-Africanist or African worldview, is that even in different communities, the centerpiece was always humanity, right? right? The centerpiece was, the Dogon people of Mali have an idea of this kind of thing called the Kawaita, right? The Kawaita is the synthesis of best practices of human exchange to bring about the best existence of humanity. Similarly, the Zulu, Bantu, Tosa people of what we would now call Botswana, South Africa, have the word Ubuntu, which means I am because we are. Now, each clique is going to say their own thing is something different, but at the core of it is humanity. Sister Neck and I were talking before we started recording about Ma'at, right? The concept of Ma'at is balance, harmony, and justice, which means Play boy, play girl, get yours, right? Get yours, get all you can get. But if your getting comes at the expense of another person, then you can't get that. Yeah. Right? Because then that's human harmony. That's humanity, right? That's a existence or way of being that is inconsistent with particularly the Anglo, particularly the Anglo, right? Because all the Europeans <laughs> ain't the same either. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole nother dialogue. The, yeah, Anglos, the, right? the Anglos and the Saxons is different than the Slavs, is different than the Chechnys, is different than the Gypsies, but because we don't have a mastery or understanding of world history, we only know stuff through the eyes of the Anglo-Saxon because they happen to be the ones who quote unquote won. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a desire to have a greater world view, then just start, start anywhere, right? Start anywhere that's African-centered. Start yeah. anywhere that centers African ways of being. Yeah. And when we, and so, and here's the thing about the, the when we ask you to ask people, Black people particularly, but hey, if you're a white person in this world ain't serving you, come on. What, what <laughs> my man should say, if you don't like your producer dancing all in the videos, right? If you're a white person and you look around like, man, I'm catching hell. I'm getting my face beat in. If you don't like the worldview that's dancing all in your videos, Talking all on your records. Come to death row. Death row. You know what I mean? And what I mean by that is an <laughs> African-centered worldview. The scholars that we're talking about are, are, are valuable and can give us some intellectual language to work with. But all these Bamas know good and well that they shown up love African worldviews because you don't see none of them getting out here throwing no parties where they clap on a one and a three. Ain't nobody hopping on a Peloton talking about, yo, let me get that junk that bounce on a one and a three and that's going to get me fit. No, 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 no. But <laughs> the cult, the capital of Black people, beyond what they can offer as mere entertainment, but more as a philosophy or a way of life, then you start to see some values because, yo, you smile a little bit brighter. You laugh a little heartier. You go to sleep and sleep a little bit longer through the night because you don't got to wake up at 3.30 in the morning knowing at 7 o'clock you got to be up and logging on to your computer because did you turn in this spreadsheet to this database to this timesheet to this no, no, no. You know you're going to get your work done. You're going to ensure your work. But what is your life? What is your value? My man, y'all see, I give what kind of man you are. I care what kind of man you are, what your principles and standards are, right? Yeah. Like this, the, our humanity is always tied up with us and the African-American is always facing a constant state of tension because to put it quite colloquially, 
our dear brother, the late departed brother Tupac said it best. In 1994, he gets on a record with MC Breeden and tells you, you got to get yours. I got to get mine. He's singing the praises of rugged individualism. Teddy Roosevelt would be proud. <laughs> he turns around and changes in 1996 and quite honestly asks, how can another kill a brother if he's close to me? He goes to a concert in Milwaukee and gets on all those gangbangers for killing that young brother, Yumi Sandifer, who was a child, a 10-year-old child, because they feared he was going to get snitched. So the African-American is in constant struggle because we have this resistance in us that says, you tell me the rules of the game and I can win that game. But because the rules of the American game are inherently so inhumane, we find ourselves doing things that are inhumane, yet there's a tug at us, right? There's a tug at us. There's a tug at us that says, and, and Booney, you're going to laugh at this, well, I like wearing my white glove and being in a high tea society, but shouldn't we teach some little brown kids to read too? Ooh. Maybe I need to go over here with 20, one of my other friends and create a change. Come on, come on. Look, you got me over here feeling like I'm Willow on the red table. I'm just like, mm. <laughs> but no. It, so it's a it's it's wrestling with the African and the American at you. And I encourage every United States citizen who values humanity priority as a priority of their life to discard the American in them. That don't mean say you got to move away. It means to discard the American values because all of those things are functionally inhumane, but it's made worse because it's given the language of the humane, right? It'd be different if, if, a, if the reason that so many people of, of NECA's belief system and my belief system can make peace with Donald Trump, not like like him, because the Joker tells you who he is yeah. and then he does it. And you're like, yeah, I get it. All right, cool. I'm over here. So yeah, right? I see what that is. He said what it is and he did it. The United States tells you, nah, baby, you know I love you. I'm going to come home every night. I'm going to And then the United States got you looking like boo-boo the fool because your feet sitting up on a pillow waiting for it to come home and it's out gallivanting all over the streets with somebody else. Functionally, the United States is inherently inhumane in the way that it prioritizes capital, the way it prioritizes individualism, the way it prioritizes wealth, and the way it prioritizes whiteness. Those things are incompatible with truth, liberty, justice, freedom, and anything else that the United States proposes on its people. And you just so eloquently said, uh, I was having a conversation with someone and they were saying like, why was 2020 the year? Why was George Floyd the trigger for all of this to be on in mainstream, right? And I think it's everything you said. It was because everybody was sitting at home and for everybody, the kind of the wool was pulled off their eyes with the coronavirus. Like they don't give a damn, right? Like how can we get Marshall's back open? <laughs> like that was literally the only end goal. We don't care if y'all die, y'all got food, y'all got, how does the Marshall? It's even worse. It wasn't, they didn't care if people died. The thing was handled in such a way so that people would die. Yeah. Let's be clear. Let's be clear, right? They, they, there are people, the American way is to disregard human life for money. That is the American way, period. It has always it has always been. Now, in one case, it decided to label and classify people as not human so that they didn't have to deal with whatever internal um, struggle that would cause. 
But even today, like that, that you will prioritize opening marshals. I mean, let's look at it. The, the Constitution thing say life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It does not say you have a right to own your own business. <laughs> it don't say that. But that is what was prioritized over people's life. The ability to make money. And, and Black people have to always remember, you were the first capital in capitalism. You, your Black self. Go look in the mirror and deal with that. You were the first capital. All this other stuff is secondary. You, your ancestors. And still today, you are being commodified in ways that you don't even understand. Facebook, Twitter. I mean, I be on them. I'm not saying, I'm just saying that we have to understand, we have to understand the ways in which we are being commodified. When you go to work and, and give them your idea. See, I be telling black people, look, Go to your job and do 79.5%. Do enough so nobody can't say nothing to you. And write you up. <laughs> and write you up because I know you need your job. But do not go in there giving these corporations the best of you. That best of you is for you. It's for your family. It's for your community. It's for the nation. It's not for them. But yes. we still don't realize the ways in which we are being commodified or that we commodify ourselves or our intellectual property or our cultural, um, our cultural property against our own, you know, against our own um, best interests. Look, you, you set this up because I wanted to close out with both of you asking both of you, what does black liberation look like to you? And I feel like we're, 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 we're deviating there, but what does that look like? What does it feel like? Because I feel like it's a concept as we're talking that a lot of people can't even conceptualize. Or what does it feel like to you? So it's funny. If you think about how we acted um, when Black Panther came out, now mind you, we understand that Black Panther was the mind, the, was the fantasy or the imagination of a white man. We're not saying that. But because it's... Um, it resonated and gave people um, this idea, this piece of, I forget who said, um, I think Lupita said it. It gave people an image of Africa uninterrupted mm. by colonialism. And I think that that is what kind of, you know, gave it so much, you know, that we plugged in so much with it. And I think Black liberation, um, I call myself an Afrofuturist, right? And what, is that, what does that really mean? It really means we get to live dope lives without the bondage of the European worldview, right? Without. So part of the reason we have a lot of trouble is because we really don't think we can do anything without white people, right? Or without white tools, without white culture. And I, and I have to tell people, like, y'all do know that white people are the youngest people on this planet. They were thousands of years of human history with no people that are white as we know it, because we know that white is a function of, you know, racism, but without Europeans as we know it. Mm -hmm. So we had brilliant history then without whiteness as a function, and we can have a brilliant future without whiteness as a function. And so black liberation looks like a disconnect a disconnection or a healing from this last 500 years. 
this 500 years does not negate the 9,500 years before it. Mm-hmm. And we had to, our, I think our biggest piece to liberation is healing from the lie that we are somehow inferior. And as we heal from that lie, we get free. We become liberated and we can go on and, and craft a future on this planet because despite what people want to think, we don't run this planet. This is our home. We live here. We might have the highest intellect maybe on the planet, but if if the planet had decided to make COVID-19 just a little bit different, this would be over. the planet would have shown us. <laughs> Yeah. We, we need to be real careful about how we deal with our mother. This planet is our mother. And we show her as, about, as much respect as we show Black mothers. But that's another story. <laughs> we have to change the way that we're seeing things. And so liberation, Black liberation looks like us putting things in the proper order. Care for this planet. Care for ourselves. Care for each other. That's Black liberation. All right, Mr. Baker. <laughs> Humanity. I, I, I like so much what Sister Necker said, and I, I'm drawing uh, my answer now off of a lot of what she offered. So I want to be very clear about that. <laughs> you know, we all some learned people. You know the game. Cite your work. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna say <laughs> stuff. Cite your work, right? All you gotta do. So I just want to say it up front, so that way I can just go ahead and throw the whole block quote in there, as if you have to put the little footnote and then drop the little note at the bottom. <laughs> I like in those. My students that they take me, they they try to put that APA in there with a parenthesis and a name. I don't want all that. Just give me the footnote. I'll find it. <laughs> um, I think that it is black liberation is humanity. Black people leaning into humanity that does no harm to their fellow being or no harm to the mother earth. And they live that humanity without the overlord of whiteness, Mm. right? Because to think of liberation, we can't think of it in the abstract as just being free, but what are we liberated from? And the thing that we're liberated from is whiteness, right? And... (laughs) Uh, my my Jenga, my, my, my teacher, Dr. Greg Carr of Howard University, offers that loyalty to humanity is a betrayal of whiteness. Every time. And Black folk got to start betraying that whiteness, right? Every time. Because the baselines from which we make decisions and govern are centered in whiteness in ways that we ain't even wrestling with, right? And so... With what comes next, uh, I, I'm, I'm butchering the sister's name, but I believe uh, the sister uh, Arundhati Roy says a new world is not only possible, but she's on her way, mm-hmm. right? And I thought about that when COVID-19 really forced everybody to sit still the first time. And we saw uh, in uh, in Venice, I think, where they, they go to the gondola, where they ride down the street, you can see fish. You can see through them, yeah. Yeah. You know, it, there were mountain snow caps that because of pollution, folks hadn't seen before. Listen here, Earth is fitting to get us black, white, indigenous, Asian, otherwise fitting to get you up out the paint because you effing with her. You're playing too much. And so what does black liberation look like? It looks like black people be getting to be human beings on their own terms 
in a way where they touch and agree that they will do no harm to each other and do no harm to earth. And the terms in which they decide to be human don't revolve around the supposition that whiteness is the baseline. White folks, y'all got something that y'all want to kick and bring to the game, bring to the cypher? Come on. I fuck with y'all pizza. That's cool. You know what I mean? Like, pizza's all right. You know what I mean? But you can come sit at the table, but you ain't the table. You ain't the table. And so when Black folk get to organize their lives, absence of whiteness, and in a way that intentionally seeks to do no harm to each other or earth, or, you know, I'm trying to use all the $20 word, each other or earth. Earth. Come on, with the F word. Then you want some folks getting Uh, Well, this conversation was everything that I hoped it would be and more. Um, If you each could take a moment to just tell people where they can find you on the interwebs or social media, wherever you want them to find you. Go ahead. It's your time. (laughs) I say, truth be told, Nika Dabby do not want to be famous. I'm I'm playing. Um, It's so funny because everybody in the village got a duty position. And that's why I was joking saying I don't want to be found. Because we have done this thing where we have all become generalists. Where in truth, most of us are specialists. Mm. And so my my special my, my thing is the books and the research. I'm not necessarily the one that need to be talking to the people. But because, but, but because our village is so broken... We have to, you know, we at war, so we have to function in that way. But if somebody had questions and they just wanted to, to, you know, find out more about what I do, um, they could hit me at Nika at fightlightbemore.com. And that's, you know, B-M-O-R-E um, dot com. So, yeah. I can be found in the stacks. Climb the library stacks to find the books. You find me. <laughs> No more now. There you go. Look, that's all I can get out of them, y'all. So, uh. <laughs> so maybe bring out my Tyrese. What what do you want from me? <laughs> Don't do that man like that. He but uh, Nika and Ray, thank you so much for this conversation. And I hope all of you listening were able to learn. It's in, enticed you and implored you to do more learning on your own. So Bonnie, real quick, before you part though, I do want to say something to folks and I want to make sure that they, they understand this. I don't want to speak for Sister Nika. I want to speak for me. Okay. Well, Ray in West Baltimore, running around playing, being a Hulkamaniac, eating my vitamins, saying my prayers, ripping my undershirts open, right? I grew up playing football, getting my head bashed in, probably make terrible decisions now. I grew up an American. I say that to say, please don't look at others and think that I at least see myself as somewhere and in some place that you can't be at or are not at, right? Boone talked about how in the last three to five years, she's had her moments. We all have a moment where we look around and the world just don't make sense to us. This don't just, it just don't feel right. Look, and I didn't even tap on this whole voting thing because that's starting to, the house of cards there is falling. You got, you so got to go. <laughs> and I know you got to wrap up, but I, and the reason I bring that up is to encourage folks to remind them that if you feel a compulsion that this don't feel right, but you don't know all them books that Sister Necker said, and you ain't you don't, you don't have an OG professor from Howard that I mentioned. That's all right. Sit where you are. 
Touch the community. Listen to what your grandma said. How did she used to do it when she couldn't go somewhere? What was the little games that your aunties used to play? Why do we make cornbread and black eyed peas on New Year's Eve? Why your people tell you don't let no bird fly off with your hair when you're getting your hair corn rolled on the front porch? Learn to those things, lean into those things, love to those things, and find the African within you. Whether your African is nothing but clapping on the two and the four, or whether your African is you the one who stay up all night because you don't want the people on your team to have to get yelled at for hyper productivity. That's you taking that bullet for them. That is the African in you. So wherever your African in you is, because it's somewhere, it is somewhere. Lean into that. And if you don't got access, then you don't got time for all these books. Because listen, wage slavery is real. You got you to gotta pay your bill. BGE be like, I'm glad you're reading them books, but if you want some life to keep them books. <laughs> so find it wherever you can, right? And be, if it's in being in community with people, if it is in learning and listening, if it is in treating others in a way that centers your life by doing no harm to them, even if that means harm gets done to you, that is the African in you. And so start there. We're going to get you where we need to be, but we just need you to start. Well, that is the perfect note to end on. So thank you both so much. All right, that is it for this week's episode. I want to thank both Ray and Nika again for doing this conversation with me. I hope you listening, you learned a lot. Uh, You're like me, your mind was blown open. You're curious to explore uh, different teachings and kind of unlearning some of the things uh, that we've been taught and upholding for most of our lives. All right. And be sure to follow and support their work. And if you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to listen and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and Audible or any other app that you listen to your favorites on. Don't forget to leave those five-star reviews too. You might just hear your review on the next episode. Follow us on all social media. Share the episode with those you love, those you don't love, those you fucking hate. I don't make these pretty images for nothing, okay? Have a dope-ass week. Stay healthy, safe, and sane. Thank you for listening. And remember, the ratchet in me always honors the ratchet in you. Until next time.